0: Um, We're just going to jump right into things this morning. We're we're in Habakkuk, and if you've been with us as we've been starting this process, you might even be thinking to yourself, uh, aren't we going back and starting over at the beginning? Well, the first two sermons were kind of to set up this sermon, but it's still about Habakkuk 1, verses 2 through 11. And so it's really uh, interesting what's going on here. We don't know much about Habakkuk. All we do is we know his name, and we know that he is a prophet, because that's what he says, I'm a prophet of God. Well, we don't know his mom and dad, we don't know any history about him, we don't know where he comes from, we don't know where he's going to. All we know is is what we read, and so starting with verse 2, here's Habakkuk's complaint to God. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly... Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. And here's what the Lord says back to Habakkuk. Look among the nations and see... Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and nasty nation, who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press on proudly. Their horsemen come from afar, they fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces all, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by, like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Now if I were to just kind of give you a brief bullet. On, on what this looks like it, it, and draw a comparison, I want you to get kind of how this feels for Habakkuk. I want you to understand what he's looking at and why he says the things he's saying to God. He's really saying to God, why aren't you doing anything about the injustice of the world? We have injustice all around us and God, you seem to be silent. You seem to be not caring. You seem to let the wicked people just carry on and do whatever they're going to do. Why are you letting things go unchecked? And then God goes, oh, don't you even think for one moment that I'm sitting by idly. Don't you even think that I can't handle this because I've got this. I'm about to send the Chaldeans down, and they are, are a bitter, they're nasty, they're morally perverse country, and they're going to reap judgment upon Judah. So if I could get you to understand that what that's like for us today across the U.S., we would start with the sanctity of human life. You know, the question is, when does it begin? What about a woman's rights? What about the baby's rights? And you know what we really need in this day and age with all this stuff that's going on? We need two things We need in, in this arena. We need strong grace. But we also need to have a prophetic word that goes off from the word of God. Now, let me give you an example. In 2011 a doctor by the name of Kermit Gosnell in Philadelphia was arrested on 10 counts of murder. He was lying to the impoverished immigrant women and lower class women. He would tell them when they would come in for a checkup, they were eight months pregnant, but what he would do is he would lie to them and tell them that they were 24 weeks pregnant and he would do an abortion. What he would do is he would sedate these women so that they were completely under, they were not conscious. They would give birth to live babies. Then he would take a pair of scissors and he would jab it in the back of the neck of these babies and he'd cut the spinal cord and kill them. There were 80 complaints against this clinic. And you know what the state did? Nothing. They didn't do anything. 80 complaints and they didn't do anything. Do you know why? Because it's such a controversial topic. They didn't want to get their hands dirty. Horrible. That's that's just one small example example of uh, enormous violence and injustice taking place in our country right now. There are murders, there's domestic violence, there's immoral government officials calling good and righteous works of God hate crimes. There's a corruption in our government. There is immorality within our professional athletes. We have greedy and exploitation taking place with major corporations across this country. And our education system is now teaching children that what God says about sexuality is absolutely wrong and that they are to rebel against the authority that God has established. That's the country we live in. And the question that we're asking is the same one that Habakkuk asks. Our question is, God, how come you're turning a blind eye to all the wickedness, to all the perverseness, to all the immorality, to all the things that are in the last 20 years have done a, a complete about face, and all the things that we used to say these are holy, righteous, and good things? Those characteristics now are are brought to us, being brought to us in the foreground, and telling us that those things are really wicked, evil, and bad. God, why, why aren't you doing something about it? And, and how could you let this happen? How could you sit by and watch all this stuff occur? We'd have the same complaint as a Habakkuk. And if God were to respond to us like he does Habakkuk, here's what he would say. He says, oh, I'm not idle in this at all. I'm not turning a blind eye to this. He's, he would say, at, matter of fact, right now I have Russia and China. They're having talks. And what's going to happen is I'm going to raise them up and they are going to come in. They are going to conquer you. They are going to overthrow the United States and they are going to destroy your country. And then we would go like, wait a minute. I asked you to do something. That's not doing something. You're bringing in people who are worse than us. To do that, we're going to explore that a little bit more next week. But what it really does is it puts us in a in an odd place with our culture, because our culture is what's driving the immorality of our country. It, it started back when I was a kid. I mean, things things went south. I mean, right now, if you were to say that you know some of the, the best days our country has has known was post World War II up to the to the late 50s you would be called um, a bigot, a racist, and, and a woman hater. That's what would happen if you did that. And, and our country is really taking this whole thing and getting us messed up. Now, listen, I think there's still people hanging around from Climbers Fest today. So if all of us got together, we just said, hey, let's, let's put church on pause for a minute. And we all grabbed our little spiral notebooks We all got together, and we drove down to City Park where the climbers are hanging out, and we started to ask them, and we're going to take notes in our our neat little book here. It's all recyclable. I mean, the the climbers would love it. They would think we were just hip or something. But if we started to take notes on the questions we'd ask them, guess what we would find when we were to start talking to them about God? You would find that there would be some people there who call themselves agnostics, and that means that they believe there's a God but they're not really sure who he is or if he even really cares about anything. He's out there somewhere, but he doesn't care. Then you're going to find people, you you'd come across some people who are like the the Navi in Avatar, where they're going and and saying stuff like, well, you know, everything is God. The wind is God, the trees are God, the cliffs are God, my dog is God, I'm God, you're God. Everything's God, and it's all really cool. Can't you feel it? It's the vibe, baby. And then you'd run into those, those crazy nut job Star Wars people who'd go, it's the force. Listen to the force within you, Luke. I am your force father. And we'd go, okay. And we'd be writing that stuff down. And then what we would run into is we'd run into some people who were absolutely atheists, staunch Atheists, there is no God, and it's just a silly little myth that you all believe in, and it's for weak people, and the people that believe in God, they're the ones that start all of these wars. All the wars have been started in the name of religion, and they would go down that path and they would talk to you about it, and we'd be going like, whoa, okay, avoid those people. And then we turn around and we'd run into a group of people who would identify themselves as Christ followers, and they would say something like, God's my Father, Jesus is my Savior, the Holy Spirit's my guide, and we'd go, yeah, clap for that, yeah, woo-hoo. And, and, and then you would hear somebody talk about karma, that hogwash. And you would, have, you would have all these things going on down there. But if you were to grab, you know, 9 out of 10 people, if you would, were to eliminate the, the, the staunch... Um, atheists who are going to, you know, jump down your throat for mentioning the word or the name of God, if you eliminate those folks and then you bring everybody else together, nine out of ten times, they would all agree on this. They'd say, well, you know what? Here's what we think. We think that this is the best way to define God because God is love. Yeah, that's mostly right. Well, partly right, mostly wrong. I mean, God is love, that's for sure. But it's this word right here that we have a real hard time with because how do we define it's It's a word that we can't really define in our country right now. Because let me give you an example of what that looks like. Because what's going to happen is you're going to say, you know what? I love my dog and I love my wife, but you don't mean the same thing. It doesn't mean the same thing. Some of you love your dog more than you love your wife, and that's naughty. Knock that off. You need a spanking. All right? And and then we talk about how we we love all these, these other things. We love pizza. I love the Broncos. I'm not saying this for me. It's you saying this. So just remember, I'm not saying this. You, you, you love the Broncos, your sporting team, whoever it is. You love your house. You love your car. You, you, love, you love all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, you turn around, you go, you know, this is the year the Broncos are going to do it. And then all of a sudden, like after the first game, you go like, they're doing it to me again. I hate those guys. And then you go home and you turn on the, the faucet and you've got water spraying everywhere. And this house that you loved last week, now you hate it. You hate your car because it won't start. And so we have this, you know, we're, we're bipolar when it comes to the things of our houses and, and these things because they just don't work the way we want them to. And so the problem is, is we've got this word right here. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to, you know, call it the junk Drawer. Word. How many of you have a junk drawer in the, in the kitchen? Come up. No, put your hands up. This is a 12-step program right here. Hi, right, I have a junk drawer in my house. I need help. I mean, it's like, right, you know, it's everything you go like, oh, I might need this in 15 or 20 years, so I'm going to put it in here. And then 15, 20 years ago, later you go like, hey, what happened to that thing I put in the junk drawer? Uh, we moved from that house five years ago. <laughs> so, you know, we've got this thing going on, and, and it just drives us a little bit crazy because we've got this, this word in this junk drawer, and, and the way I would describe this word for us in the way that we live in our culture and the way that culture has defined this word that they're attaching to God is, um, it, this is the way we look at it. Right now, I feel good. So, that's how we attribute love. This is what love does. Right now, I love this thing because right now it makes me feel good. Right now, um, you're my spouse and and as long as you make happy, I'm in. As long as you are the means to my end, I'm in. But if you change, I just might fall out of love. You know, it's kind of like, Love is attached to some kind of emotional firing of our adrenaline. It really is a junk drawer word because we have such a hard time really defining what it looks like in our lives, and so we don't know what to do. So um, that's why we we just turn on everything so quickly. And, And so we've got this word, and it's devoid of meaning, and it's attached ultimately to the reality that God is love. But we really don't know what it means when we say that. It's a mystery. So when you lose the correct definition of love, and some of you are wondering, are you ever going to define the word of love according to God? Yeah, just hold on, okay? Man, don't jump so far ahead. I'd lose about 18 pages of notes. So what happens when we lose the correct definition of love is we begin to miss out on all the really deep, thick, foundational elements of God's nature and His character. Because attached to God's love is something far deeper, far greater, far more important to us than this mushy, mushy, gushy feeling thing that makes me feel right now like I feel really good because that's what love is, I feel really good right now. So I must, this thing I love, it loves me, my family, my kids, my wife. My dog, my cat, all those crazy things. And and the problem with this is that um, there's a collision that's going to happen out of all of that. Because right here we have the thing that we need to hang on to and absolutely make paramount in our life, and it's God's Word. From Genesis to Revelations, everything in between, God has put there so that as we study, as we learn, as we incorporate into our lives, the thing that you you probably won't recognize right away is that the more you are involved with God's word, the more God's word rules your life, the more that the Holy Spirit speaks these words into your life, the more joy it will produce in your life. And joy is totally different than happiness. Because happiness, is atta- we attach happiness to this right here and to this right here. This is what we say right now, I feel good and I'm happy. I- I- I've got this love thing going on and I'm happy. And God's going like, let me give you some joy. And you go, okay, I- I- I'm all up for joy. What does it look like? Well, it doesn't look like happiness. And so what we have is we have God's word. And God's word is going to do this thing where it's going to collide with Oh, man, don't tell me I'm just, I got it. Culture. God's Word's going to collide with our culture. And our culture, in return, is going to collide with God's Word. And it is going to create this thing. It's going to be this unbelievable thing. And one of the things that we have to absolutely determine in our lives right now today, if you haven't done it today, is which one of these two things is going to rule your life? Is it going to be the Word of God, which is is inspired by the Holy Spirit? He used uh, various men throughout history to bring His Word to bear on our life. Is that what's going to bear on my life? Or is culture... Going to bear on my life, and so what I want to do to you, with you today is I want to give you three reasons why I'm always going to side with with culture, and so or with God's word. Sorry, not with culture. Whoa! Erase that off the recording, would you? Ooh wee! Don't let the, my boss hear that one. So. Um, the first thing I would tell you about God's Word, let me give you a number one here, a little arrow, is it's transcendent. In other words, what I mean by that is that it can fit anywhere, at any time, at any place. So you can take God's Word and you can drop it in the middle of Iran And it will do what God intended for it to do its work there. You can take God's word to Vietnam and you can drop it there. So just think about this. Like 35 years ago, when the U.S. pulled out of Vietnam, we had a bunch of missionaries in Vietnam. And when they left, they left God's word in the the native language for them. But they had no one to teach, no one to lead, no one to help these churches. And and all the missionaries got evacuated out of Vietnam. And and so everybody's praying for the country of Vietnam because they think what's going to happen is as we pull out, then everything's going to cave in on itself. God's word will have, have no effect on an entire country. And it's going to end up just like North Korea. 35 years ago that happened. 30 years, well, probably more like 25 years later when when Americans were allowed back into the country of Vietnam and they started to search for the church, do you know what they found? They found a church that was one million people strong in Vietnam. Because God's word was not going to be overdone by a culture. So you can take Transcendent. God's word will fit in anywhere, anytime, any place, any culture. That's what it means to be transcendent. The culture right now, uh, it is not that way at all. Not going to happen. You try and take um, Hollywood right now and all the things that they've, they think are right and all the good things that they're doing. Now, you take that mindset, you take those people, and you plop them in the middle of Iran, and you see what happens. People are going to die, because they use capital punishment on everything. And, and that's the problem, is that, that those countries, when they look at, at Hollywood, when they look at all the movies, when they look at all the movie stars, when they listen to all these, these athletes and everybody talk, they think and they wear crosses around their neck, they associate that with with those of us who are Christ followers. They think that Christ followers and Hollywood people are one and the same. And it's a mess because they they think that we're following culture, but we're not. We're going to follow God's Word. That's what we want to do. Um, The other thing about, about God's Word is that it is supreme. There is nothing that can trump God's word. It's the highest authority that there is. I, I, I know this is going to bother some of you, and it, you feel like maybe I'm picking on you and stepping on your toes or whatever you feel like, but the U.S. Constitution is subject to the authority of God's word. In other words, God's word overrides our constitution. And I know there are a lot of people that don't like to hear that, but that's what the Word of God is really about. Because I'll tell you something, that Constitution isn't going to last forever, but the Bible tells us that there are two things that will last forever, the Word of God and the souls of men and women. Those are the things that are going to last forever. Not our Constitution. It's not going to make it to heaven. It's going to burn up. It's going to be gone. It's going to disappear. And by the way, if you live by the Constitution, you're not going to have a lot of joy in your life right now because right now you think that you have the freedom of speech to say whatever you want. Now, I've said this a hundred times in this church. In, In God's kingdom, you do not have the freedom of speech. You cannot say whatever you want because the Bible tells us that we will be accountable for every idle word that we say. Jesus is going like when you open your mouth and you go, "Well, I got the freedom of speech to say whatever I feel, like whatever's on my mind, I can just say it." And Jesus is going, uh-uh, don't you do that, I'll spank you. I'll take you to the woodshed, and He will, and he does. So that's the number one thing, is, is that um, you can export the Word of God anywhere, anytime, any place, but you cannot do that with culture. Um, number two. Is the the word of God um, is this? It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what we know about the word of God. It absolutely does not change. The word of God doesn't change to fit how we feel about life. That's not the way it works. But in our culture, our culture does this. It uh, changes its mind all the time. That's, that's the problem with culture. Because they're, they're telling us right now that all this stuff that is good, this stuff that is noble, all this stuff that they're trying to cram down our throats is just the latest and the greatest thing that they think that they have to offer to us. And yet that is not what is, is, is with the Bible. The word of God says, no, what I said when I had Moses write this down, that you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and that you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. When I had him say that like 6,000 years ago, I meant it. It was probably long, more like 8,000 years ago. I meant it then, and it still applies to today. It doesn't change. God's not going, you can hate your neighbor if they don't look right, smell right, talk right, think right, like you. That's not what he says. And so the culture changes its mind. It's saying now that the the things that we used to hold as evil, wicked, unholy behavior, now the culture says, no, that's all good. That's all good. Don't be so judgmental. Don't be so, you know, um, you're not being inclusive of everybody. And God's word is totally different on that. So... You know, here, here's where we have to really understand is because if you were to really take a look at some of this stuff that goes on in our, our world, so you think back 200 years ago, what was the predominant thing that was happening in our country? Slavery, right? A lot of people owned slaves, and, and there were a lot of people that actually used the Word of God as a tool to promote slavery. You fast forward, you know, up to about, I can't remember how long ago, but a guy down in Texas, Waco, Texas, he he convinced everybody that he was Jesus Christ. And you know what happened? A lot of people died because they followed that nut job. He used the Bible to try and convince them that he was Jesus Christ. But the, the thing is that the problem is not the Bible. The problem is people. And that's what the Bible is here for, to help transform the lives of people. So um, here's the third thing the Bible delivers on its promises, culture fails to deliver you know what that looks like? So probably 20 years ago, maybe give or take a little bit, all of a sudden this this new technology came out. And there was this thing, all of a sudden, personal computers. We're all excited going like, a personal computer is going to make my life better. I'm going to have the internet and i'm going to be able to do things way faster i'm going to have more i'm going to have more time on my hands i'm going to be able to spend more time with the family because i have this technology and it promises me that i'll be able to get my work done faster i'll be able to send letters quicker i'm going to be able to do all this stuff it's going to be so amazing it's just mind blowing and it's awesome and it's great and it's wonderful and i'm going to have all of this time what a lie Because what do you do? You go to bed and you're texting on your phone and you're sending emails on your phone and you're looking at all this stuff and the kids are crying in the bedroom because they've had a bad dream about, you know, the computer eating them and you nudge your spouse and you say, hey, go deal with the kids. I'm dealing with important stuff here on my phone. The problem is is that, that, that culture has failed... to to live up to its promises to us. But here's the thing. God over and over again has delivered on His promises to us every single day. Now, let me me take this back to where we started this morning with Habakkuk. Because what Habakkuk is, is saying is God's people have abandoned god's word and now they're starting to listen to the culture that has infiltrated this country that's supposed to be a holy nation set apart for god to worship and love and follow god at all costs that's what we're called to do and and what's happening habakkuk is saying is they've they've given up on you and now they're following culture and they're doing all the things the culture is is telling them to do and look at what kind of a mess we have we have violence we have abortions we have uh, um, mob mentality. People are, are, are being swallowed up on the street by people who don't think the same. Um, all kinds of wicked and horrible things are going on in our world. And, and the problem behind it is, is that, that we've bought into this whole thing that, that the culture is our friend. Culture will lead the way. By the way, if you have Facebook and you have like 6,000 friends on Facebook, I hate to bust your bubble, they're really not your friends. (laughs) Some of you are like, what? They're not my friends? I hate to tell you that. I I mean, I know there are a lot of people here that, and and I look at it, they they send me friend requests on Facebook. And I'm just going to confess, I have more people... Waiting to be my friends, and I actually have friends on Facebook. I think I have three real friends on Facebook. Lorinda, Max, my dog, and Nikki, our dead cat. (laughs) But I really appreciate that you want to be my friend. And if you have an Instagram account, and there are people that are following you, they're really not interested in you that much at all. They really aren't. And the problem with it all is is that instead of us having these these deep, meaningful relationships with other people, now we have these shallow relationships with people that are just fleeting at a moment. And by the way, all of a sudden you get defriended on on that. And, and, you know, in a heartbeat, you could lose 6,000 friends like that and your life would be devastated. Because who are you going to talk to? So, you go back to... um, what's going on, and with technology giving us this why that it's going to be this really great thing. Because it, can't, it can never deliver on the promises that it gives us. The other, the other thing I really want to point out to you that our culture has really twisted and said, if you've got this going on in your life, you're going to find your life to be more satisfying, more fulfilling than anything else you've ever experienced in, in your life. And it's this sexual revolution. And what they're telling us is that, you know what? Sex is the answer to all of your problems. If you just have, if you can have sex with with your spouse, you're gonna, you're gonna find it's gonna be just amazing. Doesn't work that way. Uh, that's horrible. Because then they go like this. is what they this is what culture says. Well, if it's not working with that person, maybe you should have sex with somebody else. And, and then you you fill your life with all these empty relationships that don't go anywhere, and then what they say is, well, it, it, the problem is, is that the reason you're not being fulfilled by sex and all the rest of this stuff is because you don't have the right technique, and if you go down to, the, to Mr. D's or the Safeway and you look at the magazine shelf in there, every magazine gives you like, you know, how, how to have a better sexual fulfillment with better technique. In life. I mean, you pick up Bow Hunter, they've got a little section in there that says how to get her into the tree stand. <laughs> Everybody thinks that's what, what's gonna happen and make life way better for us. And and it's culture just telling us a pack of lies, and unfortunately, we're so gullible and we've believed them for so long, we can't tell the truth from a lie anymore. And that's, that's what was going on with Israel, with Judah at that time, when Habakkuk's going, God, look what these people are doing. God, look how they're behaving. Look at the violence. Look at the, the domestic. Look at all this stuff. Look how they love other things than you, how they've set up idols, how they're doing all this stuff, and they don't even love you. Are you ever going to do something? And God has a little smirk on his face. Just like he does right now, because we're asking the same questions. And he says to Habakkuk, you just watch. You just watch. I'm working. You don't see what I'm doing, but I'm doing something. Matter of fact, those nasty guys, the Chaldeans, I'm going to send them over, and they are going to take care of you. They are going to, they're going to clean up. I'm going to use immoral people to clean up the house of God. God's made a promise about that. He's promised us that when we turn our back on him, he's promised, and and we decide to go after culture, when we decide to walk and do our own thing, when we make ourselves our own God, when we say we believe God's out there, but he's not personally involved in our lives, when we believe that every inanimate object is our God, and it is God, and blah, blah, blah. When we start to go down that path, God's saying to us, he's saying, you hang on, because because I love people so much, I am going to bring my justice to bear in their lives. You see, that's where we get things kind of mixed up. We, we think that God, God isn't doing anything. We don't, we, we're, we're looking at God as this junk drawer word up here, love, and we're asking God to show his love to us by doing something really great. So let me kind of start with what I found in the Old Testament, and I want to show you where God's mindset is in regards to evil and wickedness. And so I'm just going to show you out of some scripture. So we're going to start with with Job 28, and here's what it says. For he looks, and this is referring to God, for he looks to the end of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. In other words, there isn't anything that is out of God's view, out of God's capability of seeing. He sees everything and he knows everything. There isn't anything that's hidden from his sight. You go on to Psalm 69. Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. I mean, the psalmist is going like, yeah, how silly of me to think that I'm going to do something that God's not going to see. And then it's just this myth because what we've got going on is what God's telling us is a couple of different things that we really need to keep in, in mind, is first of all, he, he says, God's telling us, S-E-C-E-R, no secrets. Did I spell it wrong, Betty? All right, let me go back to my notes. S E C R there. But the point is, there are no secrets. You've got nothing to hide from God. Bad spelling? (laughs) He knows all about it. And and the problem that we have is that we think because we do something in the dark, we do something where nobody's around, we do something that nobody, we think nobody knows about. We, We think we've got all this stuff going on, and we've hid it from God, that, that we're getting away with something. But when you, when you think about God's presence, see, we've lost, we've lost the idea, the knowledge, the understanding that God is omnipresent. Do you know what that means? We always like to say, wherever there are two or three gathered together, there is God in the midst of them. Well, yeah, that's true. But do you think that God's spirit leaves you because When we leave here, we go home by ourselves, that God's spirit's no longer with us, that he's not looking over our shoulder, that he's not with you when you've got your little secret phone in your hand and you're doing stuff you know you shouldn't be doing. And matter of fact, if somebody came in and looked over your shoulder, you'd go, oh, sorry. Or when you're on your computer and somebody walks into the room and you don't know they're there and all of a sudden you turn around and you're trying to click out of whatever it is you're in and you have a panic attack right there because you think you're doing something in secret. And God's going like, what do you think? I mean, if you had the thought, the understanding that no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, God is right there looking over your shoulder every time, guess what we would be? We would be embarrassed and ashamed of the things that we do we think are in secret. Matter of fact, in Isaiah 40, it says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, who brings out their hosts by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, no one not one is missing. So here's our, Isaiah's argument to Israel. He's saying, look up at the stars. It's God who's calling them out. It's God who places them in the place where they are. He names them. He tells them what temperature to burn at and where they're to stay for the rest uh, of creation. And it's through God's power and His might that He does this thing. And, and then He asks the question based on this power Isaiah does. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my weight is hidden from the Lord, and my right is, is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creators of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Nothing hidden. Whatever it is you think you're hiding from God, whatever it is you think you're doing in secret, whatever it is where you say nobody knows, you are absolutely dead wrong because our God knows and he's mighty in power and strength. In Isaiah 47, he says this, there are two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and the great powers of your enchantments. Uh, Apparently, there are some people in Israel at this time who were starting to get involved in witchcraft. And here's the next part of it that's really weighty. It says, you felt secure in your wickedness. People think that they're really secure in the wicked, evil things that they're participating in. They, they say, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. There's the lie that has been penetrated into our hearts that we just don't get. Now let me read one more from the Old Testament for you. It's from Jeremiah 16. For my eyes are all on their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes, that's God speaking, that's God saying there is nothing, nowhere you can go, nothing you can get away from, you will, if you, if, if you have this idea that the whole thing is perforated around, pepper, is based around the goodness of God and the love of God and that he's turning a blind eye and winking at your sin, you are misinformed, and you do not understand the depth of God's love for you. Because we have this, here, you know, there are people going like, well, what about the New Testament? I mean, Jesus was the love guy. Like, he probably had feathered hair with product in it, walking around, telling everybody, hey, just love your neighbor, man. Come on, baby, just love your neighbor. Well, You know what, I'm not going to tell you what Jesus says. I'm going to let Jesus tell you what he says. This is what Jesus says in in Mark. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone hears, let him hear. Hmm. And then in Luke 12, Jesus said, in the mean, it says this, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, the thing that ruins and destroys and works in the community of faith and just does really bad stuff is when we pretend That we are something we are not. That's the definition of hypocrisy is is we're pretenders. We're actors. And so we we pretend to be something we're not. And we we start to learn how to speak the right language in church. We learn to to share people, our hearts, and we become this person that we're really not. And, And Jesus is saying... That's hypocrisy. That's the leaven in the community of faith that is going to blow everything apart and make a mess of things. And so he continues on in Luke 12 and he says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. That right there should be the greatest cure for self-righteousness there ever was. Just think about this. If if right now, let's just take Saturday, Friday, Thursday, Wednesday, those four days, and Jesus was able to come right now, and he's going to, on this screen behind us, project what your thoughts were for those four days. Do you want to stay and hang around, and be here when your thoughts are projected up on the screen for everybody to see? I'm going to be the first one to leave. (laughs) I think I have a funeral to go to. I'll be back in about eight years. It would be embarrassing for us. We wouldn't want to be here. But what the Word is telling us is that our motives, and our actions, they're already revealed to God. And they will come out. Whatever you think it is that you are hiding, whatever you think it is that is in secret, even in the New Testament, it tells us that those things are going to be revealed. See, our war is against our motives. Our war is against those desires that we have. Our war is against those thoughts because they're the things that control us from the inside out. It's not the act outward actions that Jesus wants to, to change. He wants to transform your heart, your mind, and your thinking. So, I'm just going to skip ahead to a bunch of stuff here. And um, I'm gonna, I'm just going to wrap this up and say that here is what Peter wrote to us to help us understand what we should be doing. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but he who, as he who called you is holy you also be holy in your conduct as it is written. You shall be holy, for I am holy. God's love. See if I get this right. I think that's right. God's love is the same as His justice. When God brings judgment, when He brings His righteous judgment or or His righteous justice to bear on our lives, the reason He does it is because He loves it. It is born out of His love. But the greater news is that God's love is born out of His justice. They're inseparable. They go together. And the thing that this love and justice of God, the way it is demonstrated to us, it is demonstrated to us this way. The grace of Jesus Christ. Because if it wasn't for the the, the grace of Jesus Christ, all those hidden sins, the hidden sins, (laughs) dadgummit, all the hidden sins that we've been, been trying to keep out of sight, all those things that we think we're keeping to ourselves, all that stuff that has been right here, nobody knows about, God knows about it, and what it brings to you is God, what it should bring to you is God's full-blown wrath in your life, and you should be evaporated into nothingness. But it's because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And the reason why I did bread here is because that represents the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that covers all of that hidden stuff. God doesn't want you to stay in the shadows. God doesn't want you to live in hidden worlds. He doesn't want you to have a secret life. What he wants you to have is he wants you to be open and honest, first of all, with him, and then second of all, with one another. And when we do that, then we're gonna have the freedom to know and experience God at a level that we've never had before and our lives will have greater fulfillment and meaning than we've ever known before. So my question to you this morning is, what's keeping you stuck in the hidden places? What's the freedom you long for that you're not getting? That's what we're going to do in just a couple of minutes. We're going to come and we're going to celebrate Because what this table represents, it represents the body of Christ. It represents the blood of Jesus. It represents that Jesus' body absorbed the wrath of God, our propitiation. He was our wrath bearer. He stood in front of us and he took all of God's wrath on himself. And then he shed his blood. Because the Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or uh, elimination of sin in our lives. Our, our sin would still be hanging around us like a dead carcass and it would be stinking the place up. But because of the blood of Jesus, he's eradicated our sin. He's taken it as far as the east is from the west. And now he's given us freedom to live as men and women with the greatest hope that the world will ever know. He's given us a message of hope. And he just says to you now, because you live in that hope, because you know of that hope, I want you to share the hope of Jesus, the blood of Jesus with other people. That's what church is all about, friends. That's why we're here. Let's pray. our Father, we talked about some pretty heavy things this morning. We talked about a bunch of stuff that's probably not even that popular anymore. And sometimes people might look at us and say, we're just, we're just stupid people who live in the backwoods and are uneducated and we don't know technology is here to help us and all the rest of that stuff. But here's the, here's the deal that we celebrate today. You deliver on your promises, Father. And without the delivery of your promises, we are in deep trouble. So what we want today, what we need from you today, is your grace to overflow on us, to overwhelm us with your presence, to know the forgiveness that we would, at this moment, as we come around this table, that we would once again live that moment where your grace flooded our lives set us free from our sin, our shame, and brought us back to the place where we are in community with you. So we thank you this morning for that. We just ask that you would make your name famous through our lives. We pray in Jesus' great name, amen.